Yep. Yep. Completely agreed. Podcasting is the new groceries. Yeah. Uh, well, good thing we're here on the scene. Welcome back to episode 39 of Acquired, the podcast about technology acquisitions and IPOs. I'm Ben Gilbert. I'm David Rosenthal. And we are your hosts. Today, we are coming in hot with the just-announced Amazon acquisition of Whole Foods for $13.7 billion all in cash. Oof, are we ever. We are not planning on doing an episode today, but David and I woke up, saw the news, and absolutely could not resist. We live for this. So here we are. We do. It is 4 p.m. PST on Friday, June 16th. The day the acquisition was announced this morning. And uh, hot takes flying all over the internet. Uh, David and I do not purport to have any of the answers, but we do have hot takes of our own. So in true acquired fashion, we will probably be wildly speculative. We have no idea what they're going to do with this acquisition, and we certainly cannot give it a grade that we feel very confident about, but um, it's going to be real fun to talk about. Before we dive in, though, important, important announcement. So Ben's birthday is coming up this week, and if you want to get him a present like me, you should leave acquired a review on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> uh, see what we did there. <laughs> um, no, seriously. David gets some of my birthday present too, apparently. <laughs> I'll write you a <laughs> review, Ben. <laughs> um, but no, Thanks. seriously, we have um, some acquired is growing a lot, and we have some amazing guests coming on this summer. And that's possible because of the growth. And the way to keep the growth going is through Apple Podcast reviews. So. Uh, if you have a minute, please leave one. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for being a listener. Well, we do. And now I get to skip my section where I normally ask for Apple podcast reviews. <laughs> <laughs> my present to you is giving you a break from this. Perfect. Perfect. Well, listeners do know that we have a Slack. We're 750 strong now and it was blowing up today. So if you're a new listener to the show and you want to talk about any awesome news that is dropping on the day that it drops in technology, join us, acquired.fm. You can join the Slack and be part of the discussion. All right. Well, David, this is the perfect time to talk about one of our favorite companies, Statsig. Yes. When we had VJ on ACQ2 earlier this year, they were Already a pretty impressive kind of Series B stage startup with a killer team and early product market fit. But what's happened since and the scale that they're operating at now is pretty wild. This is where we get lucky in being very choosy with our sponsors. Sometimes these things happen to them while we're mid-flight. Yes. So I asked them for some fun stats. In the past month, Statsig shipped actual live product experiments to over 1.2 billion billion end users. Now, that stat is not deduplicated across apps, so there's some overlap. But I mean, even if you cut that in half to approximate actual flesh and blood human people out there, that's almost 10% of the world's population. Crazy. Okay, so that's one. Two, Statsig now processes about 130 billion events per day. So the infrastructure that Statsig now has to support these data volumes is pretty wild. And it's not like they just execute these events. They then take all the data from them, run huge statistical jobs across the whole corpus to compute the experiment results that their customers are running. It is just wild. It's funny, I hadn't thought to make this comparison until right now. So you said 1.7 million events a second. If you look at the visa numbers, I just pulled up my visa notes, 
Visa does 8,600 transactions per second. So that's, what, 200 times as much throughput at StatSig than at Visa? On the customer side, StatSig added arguably almost all of the most important AI companies in the world this year, including Microsoft, Atlassian, Anthropic, along, of course, with regular old companies like Notion and UiPath and Lattice and Brex and Friends of the Show Rec Room. The team also kept shipping super fast. At the start of the year, they had just one core product. Today, they're a full-fledged product understanding platform. They have dedicated feature flagging, warehouse native experimentation, and product analytics. Yep. So if your team wants the best platform in the world for making data-driven product decisions, you should reach out. Statsig.com slash acquired. And as always, there is special white glove onboarding for all acquired listeners. Our huge thanks to Statsig. Now, David. Let's do this. So uh, for the show today, um, we are, of course, going to do history and facts as always. But it's going to be a little different than usual. Uh, One because we didn't have the time to do the in-depth research that we usually do into Whole Foods. So um, it'll be a somewhat truncated history and facts on Whole Foods, but we'll still tell some fun stories. But we don't think that we can actually give kind of the full analysis and treatment of this deal and what it means without looking at a couple other companies too. So we're also going to talk about Webvan, Kiva Systems, And of course, Instacart, which will be a big topic of conversation today and already is in the media, given what happened and Whole Foods being an investor in Instacart. But so to start off, Whole Foods uh, was started in 1978 in Austin, Texas, by a young man named John Mackey and his then girlfriend, Renee Lawson Hardy. And it was originally not called Whole Foods. It was a natural foods store, you know, mostly for hippies, which they were in the late 70s in Austin. And they called it Safer Way, as a, which was an intentional dig <laughs> at Safeway. <laughs> I have not heard that. That is awesome. It was great. Uh, John was, was on a podcast recently, and um, I think it was NPR is how I built this. And he said that you know, they called it that, and they were sort of hoping that Safeway would sue them because then it would be like free publicity. But <laughs> they were so small and insignificant that Safeway didn't even notice. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd heard in the past that Whole Foods is this Texas-owned company, and it's, it's just shocking. Like Growing up, you know, when we got one in Ohio... I remember thinking like, oh, this is probably some like San Francisco, like, you know, where are they eating like this? And when, where would there be like a hippie commune that would inspire this and, you know, keep Austin weird, but shocking that it was in Texas to me. Well, I mean, as we all know, Austin and uh, it is stereotypes about it are not always true, but Austin is definitely hippie Mecca and was in the 70s even more so. But so Mackie kind of basically goes on. He's still the CEO of Whole Foods many years later, uh, will continue to be under Amazon. Um, it was announced, but but he's basically like the Steve Jobs of grocery stores. So <laughs> he dropped out of UT to start the company. And he he talks about kind of when he was at UT, he sort of had this very Jobs-like experience, you know, like Jobs had uh, at Reed in Portland when he was there for a semester. You know, Mackie kind of didn't like the structure of college and having to have a major. And so he just decided he was going to bum around and take whatever classes interested him. And uh, he ended up... Oh, he's like exactly the Steve Jobs. It's exactly the Steve Jobs uh, experience. And uh, he ended up through kind of that route, getting involved with a vegetarian co-op on campus. That's where he met Renee. 
and started getting into food and natural foods and whole foods. And um, the two of them had this idea that they should start their own store. So they borrowed $10,000 and then they raised another $35,000 from investors and they start safer way <laughs> and they put it in an old building and uh, the store was on the first floor and then they had a restaurant on the second floor and then they lived on the third floor. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Yeah, super cool. So they do it for a couple of years and it starts really working and they get lots of business and people really love what they're doing. But of course, because Austin's a hippie town, there are other natural foods markets in town. And there's one called the Clarksville Natural Grocery. And that was run by two guys, Mark Skiles and Craig Weller. And Mackie, the Whole Foods CEO, kind of admired what they were doing. And he approaches them about merging and becoming a bigger store combined together. Um, so they do. And then they had to rename the business and they renamed it Whole Foods Market. And thus, Whole Foods is born. Hmm. Yep. It's funny. We've done other ones that have origin stories in these like small mergers too. Like you look at uh, Il Giornale yep. and Starbucks, kind of a similar uh, similar thing. Very, very similar here. He's, Mackie's basically the, uh, the Howard Schultz and Steve Jobs combined of the grocery business. So, uh, so they do, they do the merger and then a couple of years later they start expanding first elsewhere in Texas and then they go to New Orleans and they buy a company there called the whole food company. And then basically they kind of learn that growing through acquisition, there are lots of, you know, local natural food stores throughout the country, especially in kind of more liberal hippie areas. It is so true. It is like shockingly true. I did, um, like a weird little anecdote, but I was doing this bike trip up the coast of California last summer and we'd get into these little towns that had like, it became the running joke of the trip. Like the little towns that had like three or four buildings and it seemed like there wasn't much going on there, but it have like an incredible natural market. Yep. And it, it is amazing. Like when you get into these, you know, if those were any bigger, you could totally see the Whole Foods just gobbling that up and it being, you know, right under their brand. Yep. And that's really how they grew by acquiring a lot of those little stores and, and little chains and then slowly over time turning them into Whole Foods and into, you know, the big, big box store that Whole Foods is today. But kind of as they do that, they're over the decades, you know, the sort of, they catch the wave of you know, whole natural foods, organic foods. They really help start the organic food wave and publicize it um, among not just hippies, but kind of everybody and especially young people in the American uh, population. So they, they keep growing and uh, by the mid 2000s, they're above a $10 billion market cap. Uh, one of the largest grocery chains in America. Then the recession happens in 2008 and the financial crash and the stock craters then but then it kind of goes right back up and growth continues by 2014 whole foods has become the 30th largest retailer period in the u.s wow but then over the last couple of years unfortunately for them growth kind of stopped so as of you know today when amazon acquired them for the last seven quarters straight they've had declining sales declining same store sales and the stock has fallen precipitously. Huh. Declining same-store sales. Like, it seems like, I mean, this is like the urban Seattle bubble I'm in, but it sure seems like the health food movement is in more full swing than it's ever been. Yeah. The, people are woke, David. This is uh, this is really odd to me, too. I just don't know enough about the grocery industry to know what was happening. But the little I was able you know, to read, and, and this makes sense, is that it was actually kind of mostly 
growing competition from other stores mm. that are mm. maybe at Trader Joe's or plenty of other, even regular grocery stores now are offering plenty of natural and organic uh, foods, yeah. often cheaper than Whole Foods. I mean, the knock on Whole Foods is it's expensive. And you totally see that here. Like I've been shocked with Kroger owned QFC here in Seattle yep. is, uh, you know, the last couple of years really stepped up their game to the point where I can get enough, you know, really healthy stuff there where I'd actually, you know, I can totally see why the same store sales would be declining for Whole Foods. Yep. So the stock's been under a lot of pressure for the last couple of years. And actually there's an activist hedge fund, Jana Partners, that I believe pushed for, I believe ended up getting board seats and uh, has been kind of really pushing the company to, um, you know, take a corporate action, meaning sell itself. This is totally interesting. So last fall... Amazon was, at least this was, uh, I think it was a Bloomberg story, that um, it was reported that Amazon was considering buying Whole Foods, but then Jana stepped in as an activist investor, and that calmed down for a little while. And, you know, there's been other talks recently, we'll get into the Albertsons stuff, but Albertsons was considering a takeover bid more recently. But on this Jana Partners thing, Jana acquires, I think it was 8.3% of Whole Foods last fall and then, you know, is able to flip it for the premium that they got to Amazon today. And Amazon was interested before Jana stepped in. So I'd love to know that story of, you know, how did how did uh, uh, Jana manage to make that happen when Amazon knew the price was only going to go up when when that happened? Yep. Yep. Well, nothing drives acquisition interest like other acquisition interests <laughs> and viable alternative paths, too. So we don't know now, but I'm sure lots of stories will come out in the coming months. But yeah, so as you as you mentioned, back in April, it was rumored that Albertsons was looking at buying the company. Um, and then today, the big announcement that Amazon finally would acquire the company for $13.7 billion in cash, so $42 a share, which is a 27% premium to where the stock closed yesterday. And on a sort of price to earnings, you know, multiple ratio of 31 uh, versus kind of 14 and a half, which is where the average grocery store is trading these days, which, which I assume that's kind of how grocery chains trade. Uh, li- li- yeah. Disclaimer, we don't know much about the industry. But. <laughs> well, well, David, this is fascinating. I just, I just had this conversation with a, a coworker and I was doing some of the research for the show. The annual sales last year for Whole Foods was $15.6 billion. And I was like, wait a minute. So the market cap of this grocery store is actually less than a single year of revenue, yep. which to us in the tech business, like you get a two, three, four, 10x multiple on, on revenue. revenue. Right. And if you look you know, at the, the grocery store business, like apparently not the case. And I think actually retail all up. I heard another stat and when I was talking to someone who's kind of in the know about this, that boutique retail, actually, the general valuation for that is around a quarter of your annual sales. So it really, you know, it's a totally different ballgame than we're used to covering. And that just comes down to margins, right? I mean, the margins totally. in retail generally are tiny. I mean, Amazon trades, I believe, trades at a much lower revenue multiple than other tech companies because it is a retail business and has lower margins and grocery is like razor razor thin margins makes amazon look Mm. like a software business (laughs) yeah and then well the other interesting thing so you mentioned that 29 i'm sorry 27 percent premium listeners david and i were chatting with a friend who's kind of in the know before the show today and uh, mentioned that whole foods had been aggressively pursuing a sale six months ago after jana partners came in and you know their their main intention was to slim operations or streamline operations, which I don't really know how much you can do in, in the time frame from when they 
took that position until now. So I can't really speak to if that actually happened, but they were aggressively looking for a seller, you know, for the last six months. And it's fascinating to see like 27% premium over where they're trading in the public markets. It's in the range of what you would expect from these things, but it's certainly on the high end. And it's really interesting and certainly implies that there was a tremendous amount of competitive pressure that even when they were looking to sell so hard, they still had enough leverage to get that sort of a premium. Yeah, well, and it you know speaks to what Amazon can do with the business that nobody else can. So, so let's put a pin in that for a minute. We'll come back to Whole Foods, of course, but we want to talk about these three other companies quickly. So that are pretty key to the story. So the first is the infamous web van. <laughs> so you know the the brunt of all dot com jokes. You know, back in the day, this company was founded in '96 by Lewis Borders, who is the same Lewis Borders who was co-founder and, and CEO of the Borders bookstore. No way. <laughs> yeah, same. I person. never knew that. All of the intersections across this whole story between, you know, with Amazon at the center and books and retail and like it's all the same people. And, and it's huh. really key. I, and I think this is something that hasn't been talked about yet, you know, in the few hours since the deal was announced in the press. But like to really understand what's going on here, you have to understand this background. So Borders started, Lewis Borders, it was a separate company from Borders the bookstore, um, but he started Webvan in 96 and uh, immediately, you know, he was a superstar, raised uh, capital, um, raised about $10 million. He invested a third of it and Benchmark and Sequoia each invested the other third in, in 97. Sequoia later put in another $50 million. SoftBank put in another $160 million. Uh, quickly after that, then <laughs> Goldman Sachs put in another 50 million. This is all, you know, very quickly in kind of 97, 98. And what the company was doing was delivering groceries to people's homes, web van, grocery van. And so they started in the Bay Area, but then they, even before they'd really proved that it was working in the Bay Area, because they never proved it really worked anywhere, they immediately started investing all this capital to roll out across the country. I mean, this were the go go you know, dot-com days that we talked about in the Amazon IPO episode. So Amazon was, of course, mm -hmm. watching this with great interest. So the company ended up going public at the end of 1999. So just a couple of years after being founded, they raised another $375 million in their IPO. And their market cap at IPO was close to $5 billion. So, <laughs> and at this point, the company had done a grand total of just under $400,000 in sales. <laughs> um, oh my God. I mean, this is why this is, you know, the cautionary tale about the, the, uh, <laughs> the dot-com bubble. Mm -hmm. And pretty quickly, I mean, the musical chairs stopped playing and the company just imploded. So shortly, a little over a year after that, in the middle of 2001, they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy laid off all 2000 employees that they had at that point you know and they lost all the money so basically the whole you know nearly billion dollars that they raised they just burned all of it and so this was sort of the initial view that the world had on technology and internet approach to grocery delivery was that you know you don't want to be web van like look what they look what they did yeah i mean that's like the uh very long extended and very painful visualization of that uh the hype cycle curve where it's you know the value isn't there yet but the hype is really high it comes completely crashing down and then has to slowly build back up to what it once was and may never even reach the the hype that it previously hit yeah but what's super interesting about it is how much of that dna from webvan 
kind of has still to this day held on to the dream of grocery delivery and sort of there's been this perception in the world that grocery delivery doesn't work, that WebVan proved it. But really what WebVan proved is like <laughs> how not to run a startup, <laughs> not necessarily right, anything right. about the market. And so there was a company that actually came directly out of WebVan uh, called Kiva Systems. And, and Kiva was founded in uh, 2003, I believe. Wait, Kiva came out of what? It's, this is incredible. Yeah. This web is ridiculous. Yeah, so Kiva Systems, which Amazon ends up acquiring in 2012, was founded by a guy named Mick Mounts. And Mick had been, he had been at Webvan and he was in charge of logistics in the fulfillment centers that Webvan had all around the country. And, you know, Webvan knew that the margins on what they were doing were terrible. They were losing tons of money on every order, which is why they, <laughs> as they grew, they went belly up so quickly. And, and his job had been to try and turn it around and he didn't have enough time. But he kind of stayed obsessed with this idea about how could you make a fulfillment center you know, more efficient and be able to eke out better margins out of a fulfillment center. It's like Amazon's whole promise. This is, this is basically the entirety of, you know, Amazon's retail operations today is just solving that yep. problem. So Mick founded Kiva and what, what Kiva did, he saw an opportunity to use robotics to not just replace human labor. And actually what Kiva systems do is they don't necessarily replace human labor, but they make human labor much more efficient. They're robots that take pallets and racks that are in fulfillment centers and rather than them just being in the same place and having the employees walk around to pick the items from them they actually the robots move the racks themselves to the employees and the employees stay stationary and it's been a, a major improvement and in innovation in um, distribution and fulfillment center systems so much so and actually, listeners should know, it's probably worth saying, this is a, a very different Kiva than the Kiva.org that is yes. the sort of micro-lending. Yes, not micro-lending, different Kiva. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in 2012, Amazon acquired the company for just under $800 million and started, Kiva had been, had had customers like Staples, uh, and actually both Zappos and Diapers.com were Kiva customers, which was probably why sure, Amazon let's, started. Let's make the web even yeah, bigger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> probably why Amazon started to realize after they acquired those companies the power of Kiva systems in fulfillment centers. Amazon buys the company and then completely shuts down all other third-party customers and brings all the tech in-house. And has since kind of remade, I believe at this point, probably the majority, if not all, of their U.S. fulfillment centers into Kiva-run fulfillment centers. Yeah, I'm not sure. I know I know someone recently that went and did some work in one of the fulfillment centers that wasn't Kiva enabled. Yeah, but it may not be. I, I believe you know the goal is to convert every FC into right. a Kiva uh, center, but yep. they may not be fully done yet because it requires a huge amount of capex and time to make these conversions. Mm -hmm. So this has become a big, big part of Amazon, and you know, kind of directly came out of the ashes of Webvan. Separately, Amazon acquired the <laughs> acquired the domain name for Webvan. So if you go to webvan.com today, it, <laughs> it won't resolve. But Amazon actually owns it. <laughs> oh wow! And uh, and they've been, you know, as the world knows, and we've been talking about on this show for a long time. Amazon's been thinking about groceries. You know, <laughs> they didn't just wake up this morning and say, "Gosh, we should buy Whole Foods." Why do they not point that at Amazon Fresh? Yeah, it's bizarre. You would think it would just redirect. They must have been waiting for the, the Whole Foods acquisition, <laughs> and now it'll be the name of the Instacart. Yeah, product. totally. <laughs> oh, man, what a <laughs> that would be just amazing. <laughs> um, so 
in back in 2007, even before they acquired Kiva Systems, Amazon started thinking about groceries and launched Amazon Fresh in Seattle. So if, you know, like us, many listeners in the show, you have lived in Seattle for the last few years, um, you see Amazon Fresh bags on doorsteps all over the city. Wait, is Fresh only here? So for many years, uh, actually for six years, it was only in Seattle. And sort of the the lesson that they took, and, and many, not just the Kiva founders, but many former WebVan employees actually work at Amazon now and are part of Amazon Fresh. Mm. And the sort of key lesson that they took from WebVan after spending you know many years analyzing it, both on the Amazon side and, and folks having lived through it, is that the problem with WebVan wasn't that the business didn't work. It was that they grew way too quickly. And because the margins are so small, growing a new market is incredibly costly because you need density and scale to be able to, to leverage your fixed costs enough and the distribution costs enough to be able to actually turn a profit. And so if you grow mm. too quickly, you'll really quickly flip the boat upside down, which is what which is what WebVan did. Hmm. Hmm. Makes sense. So for six years, Amazon Fresh was just in Seattle. Then in 2013, they launched in LA. And then at the end of 2013, they launched in San Francisco. The next year, they went to New York and San Diego and Philadelphia. And basically, the rollout has been accelerating ever since. So they're in most major U.S. cities at this point. They're international. They're in London. Uh, they're in Berlin. They're in Tokyo. And has really been accelerating as they've started to perfect the business. At the same time... It's oh, funny, but but Instacart, I think, is actually more pervasive in the U.S. Yes. Like, I know... Um, they like Instacart just launched in Columbus, I know, and you know that's uh, they're getting into a, a lot more markets than these sort of major top 10, 20 markets. Well, in the you're US. foreshadowing the next company being Instacart. But just to wrap up on Fresh, you know, they've also been Amazon has been doing a ton of innovation as we've talked about, you know, around grocery with Amazon Go, the pilot that they're launching with cashierless stores in Seattle and pickup. They actually have a location in Seattle now where you can order your. As a, as a consumer, you can order groceries online, drive your car to a center, and then have the groceries put in your car. So they're doing lots of innovative things around kind of around fresh and around groceries in general, even before Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. So separately, kind of the third track here is, of course, Instacart. And Instacart was founded in 2012 by a guy named Apruva Mehta. And uh, Apruva had been an engineer at Amazon, <laughs> and in particular, an engineer focused on fulfillment centers. And he was in Seattle and actually left Seattle, moved down to the Bay Area a couple years before and started working on a bunch of startup ideas, knew he wanted to start a company, and eventually came back around to this idea of grocery delivery. But he took a very different approach because he knew from the get-go, he talks about this on, I think he was actually also on the NPR, How I Built This, talks about he kind of he also has a really great talk at startup school one year about how the whole oh, thing nice. got started but he knew that that amazon was going to be his main competitor and he had to take a different approach and so what instacart as most listeners know has done is said you know screw this whole logistics thing like that's really hard uh and actually grocery stores you know are pretty good at it in terms of you know keeping the produce fresh and things frozen that need to be frozen and refrigerated and managing the inventory, why don't we just build a thin layer on top of it uh, that's just the delivery layer to give the consumers the product experience they want of grocery delivery, but just have people come directly to grocery stores, uh, shoppers. So basically paying that retail premium and then just solving the last mile problem instead of trying to 
you know, sort of eliminate that middleman and, and, and make do all a that fully integrated in system, you know, like Webvan tried to do back in the day and that Amazon's been building now for, you know, 10 plus years. As Jeff Bezos would say, I couldn't have built Amazon without all the infrastructure already in place. The, uh, you know, UPS, the internet laid by the telephone wires, all these things. So now we can build Amazon on top of it. It's sort of that same approach, but with, you know, a, a different market at a different time. Yep. And uh, so Purva, he started the company in 2012 and pretty quickly it started growing really fast. And they did Y Combinator right after he started the company. And then pretty quickly Sequoia invested after that, I believe led the Series A. They've gone on in the last five years to raise almost $700 million. So approaching web van levels of investment. And uh, what's interesting about that in terms of, you know, it's so funny how it's all the same people all over again. Uh, Mike Moritz from Sequoia led the investment and is on the board and he had led the web van investment back in the day. Whoa, I didn't know that. Yep. Huh. So Instacart's sitting here today, having raised all this money at a $3.3 billion valuation on their latest round. One of their investors, their biggest grocery store partner uh, that they have an exclusive relationship with, and as part of that, the company invested in, in Instacart is Whole Foods. <laughs> and uh, so everybody woke up this morning and uh, the whole world changed in this space. Yeah, I mean, it's heavily, heavily promoted in the stores at Whole Foods. I think if you buy a, a certain amount, then you just get it at store cost instead of, um, I think this is right, instead of paying the Instacart markup for it. It's like much more heavily integrated than any of their other grocery stores. And, you know, as we'll sort of get to, Whole Foods is a super premium brand. Yep. Yep. Just speaking from personal experience, uh, you know, having used Amazon Fresh and and Instacart and, and many of the other delivery services, you know, we we would use Instacart often just solely for Whole Foods um, to get the premium yep. products from Whole Foods. I mean, that was the most compelling aspect of it for us. Yep. I love Instacart. I mean, I, I've been a user for a really long time and since it launched in Seattle and it's awesome. But, you know, you sort of have to wonder at this point, they knew Amazon was going to be their competitor at the very outset. And, you know, today the news comes out. And if you would have asked me a week ago, what's, you know, how does Instacart compete against Amazon or, you know, the, the impending Amazon, then I would have said probably that the Whole Foods partnership was their their greatest leverage point. And I'm super curious now, like, do these partnerships, like, much like music streaming, um, like if Spotify were to get acquired, then all of their um, rights negotiation that they did with the, the record labels would need to be renegotiated. Those all, you know, dissolve upon a liquidity event. I'm curious if the same sort of thing happens here, or if Instacart can still hold Whole Foods to their you know, the, the contractual agreements that they agreed to. Yeah, and I don't think we know yet. The early indications seem to be that the deal that Instacart and Whole Foods had, I believe it's looking like was a, a four-year deal that they were one or two years into and that it does have to be honored. But again, this is, you know, these are private agreements. Uh, we don't know. So yep. we will, it'll be very, very interesting to see. And, and even if it does have to be honored, you know, you can bet that as soon as that deal expires, you know, Amazon is not going to renew it. Right, right. Yeah. Tenuous position to be in. I'd be very curious, um, you know, to sit down with some Instacart folks and, and try and figure out what they think the mode is right now. And what, what do you do from here? Because maybe the move is, is uh, 
you know, not to double down and strive for world domination, but to try and figure out how to play in Amazon's world. I I don't know. Well, and it's interesting. I mean, you know, we're getting into analysis now, but I think we have to, given all the players involved in in this situation. But Porva has argued quite compellingly, I think, you know, certainly with investors, that he knows that Amazon is going to be his main competitor, but that the way you have to compete with Amazon is to compete on a different dimension and do things they can't do. And his argument is that, has always been, that by just being the thin delivery layer and being able to partner with any you know grocery store or other retailer for delivery and and all of those other folks you know are scared of Amazon too and sort of need Instacart as a partner that he'll be able to provide they'll be able to provide a better experience because Amazon itself will have a limited selection only what they carry oh please please david I, i'm just Come on. I'm telling you amazon the starts <laughs> let me give you a let me give you a playbook Amazon becomes, uh, they sell books on the internet and they're the retailer of these books and you buy from well, them. Well, and they would but, never be, turn um, themselves you, into a marketplace, would they? I mean, they're a retailer. Right, right. right. Gosh, how could you ever imagine third-party grocery store sellers coming on to Amazon's distribution and, and uh, customer could platform? Never imagine I, that. <laughs> yeah. Well, then there's also the fact that, you know, groceries, it's a very different business than books or any other type of retail. True. Um, Very true. You know, if you look at, you know, what is differentiation in grocery stores, and this is actually probably a big reason why Whole Foods was struggling in recent years. You know, you don't, you need a lot in a grocery store, but you need a set number of stuff. And if you have the stuff that people want, which is the same, you know, you go to a Safeway around the country or you go to a you know Publix in the South or Kroger's elsewhere like they're the same they have the same stuff so as long as you have that stuff and you have you know the you know high-end natural stuff that Whole Foods has you know which again is differentiation the only reason uh, at least me and Jenny used Instacart you know if you have that stuff do you need anything else is selection that important anymore right Seems like selection in like all the random stuff on Amazon from a retail perspective is much more long tail distributed than it is in a grocery yep. store. Like in a grocery store, it seems more concentrated toward, toward the, the head of the yep. curve. Which granted is a lot of SKUs, but it's a pretty standard set. Yep. Yep. Spend some time talking to people today and looking around for opinions. And before we get to acquisition category, I just want to like talk about a few things to come out of this story. So uh, one of them is that just yesterday, John Mackey was talking about how there's an activist investor called Jana Partners, which holds 8% of his $11 billion, then $11 billion grocery chain. And he says, we need to get better and we're doing that. But these guys just want to sell us because they think they can make 40 or 50% in a short period of time. They're greedy, and I'm not going to say this because we have a clean reputation, but you know, they're greedy guys and they're putting a bunch of propaganda out there trying to destroy my reputation, the reputation of Whole Foods, because it's in their own self-interest to do wow, so. That was yesterday? That was yesterday. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you can't like, argue that the, John didn't the deal know was this done. was gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's no way that, like, oh, it it actually we did do the deal. And like he, you know, he he is uh wow, so how does he really feel? Well, right. And it's fascinating because what he doesn't really say there, the good news is he can still be an effective CEO inside of Amazon because he doesn't, you know, throw Amazon out of the bus. But like, you know, definitely wanted to continue being an independent entity there. And these guys did get a huge pop, Jana Partners, since the time they bought. Oh, that they did. Yep. Another, you know, let's, let's spend a little bit of time and cover some basically hot takes on what this could represent. And then once we kind of cover all that, then I think acquisition category will start to come together and make sense. But 
right now, I would imagine they're not going to immediately transform these Whole Foods into Amazon Go's. But like, holy crap, what if they know internally that Amazon Go is like such a fantastic experience? And rather than like slow rolling it out and allowing competitors to start coming in and then potentially uh, Whole Foods to go up in value as they start doing similar things or go up in value for Amazon as people start seeing the obvious you know, synergies. What if it's just like, uh, we should own this now so that we can go big fast with this Amazon Go concept? Yep. Which is, you know, on the one hand, and Go's been delayed the public launch supposedly because of, you know, trouble getting it to work public facingly. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, at this point, I, I think the, the point that I was trying to make, uh, that we were trying to make in telling the full story and, and all these other companies, Webvan, Kiva, Instacart, you know, Amazon didn't just wake up yesterday and or today and decide to do this. They've been thinking about this category for over 10 years at this point. So if they're going to yeah. do this, you can be sure they have a very clear plan. Yep. Okay, so they're really the only ones who can do this. There's a $400 million breakup fee on this. So if Instacart gets another bid or pulls out or, in some uh, way. Or Whole Foods, you mean? Uh, or, I'm sorry, Whole Foods. Then, <laughs> to be clear, then, Instacart you know, is not being acquired right now. <laughs> yes, yes. Let's be clear about that. We'll talk about that later. But. Right, right, right. You know, it's a it's a four hundred million dollar breakup fee. So you start thinking like, who even else could bid on them? And the thing is, like, n- nobody in the grocery world has fourteen billion dollars in cash. In fact, in the physical retail world at all, like Walmart has six and a half million dollars of cash. So unless Apple or Google steps in, like Kroger only has four hundred million dollars. Dan Primack was was raising this point on Twitter. Amazon's really the only one who could win this deal, and so that's sort of an interesting uh, interesting thing to consider. Yep, totally. Nobody in the grocery world would have the capital to do this. Nope, nope. Another good one, GeekWire was reporting that uh, a really interesting thing here is that it's really a training ground for AI retail research. Amazon has all these incredible machine learning, artificial intelligence, PhDs, and Whole Foods has probably zero. I mean, maybe some small amount of data science, but you start to marry the amount of data coming in from Whole Foods and having Amazon have the ability to deploy that all over their ecosystem, not only to make Whole Foods better, but to use that in other parts of the business. It sure seems to contribute to the flywheel. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Another good one, I was reading Freight Waves. A friend who's in the the trucking industry working on a startup there sent this over. And uh, they were talking about how the thing that's really interesting about this deal is it could dramatically reduce their transportation costs because if they're using Whole Foods, you know, in the back as like urban warehouses for things that they want to start putting around to unlock, you know, imagine um, Amazon Prime now launching everywhere where there's a Whole Foods because they can keep things in Whole Foods in a non-customer facing yep. way, or maybe they can actually just deliver things directly out of the Whole Foods retail area. It really opens up the potential of reduced freight costs because you just have so many more nodes on the network. Yep, absolutely. So then another one that I was, another thing I was thinking about is uh, Whole Foods has, let's see, 456 stores in the US and Canada. Now that's zero international. So Amazon has a global footprint. Will they, you know, will we see them start to make international grocery moves? Well, they're already, Um, you know, Fresh is already in London and Berlin and Tokyo, so... Um, right, right. You got to imagine, yes. Will they need M and A? Like whatever they're doing with Whole Foods, like will it make sense to buy a big international chain as well? Which, as we talked about, is how Whole Foods grew through yep. acquisition. Yep, absolutely. 
And then lastly, this one might be a little bit more out there, but who knows? Amazon has reportedly been working on some prescription uh, and, and pharmacy eps- efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, and CNBC reported that if Amazon wants to sell prescription drugs, Whole Foods could provide the real estate on top of not just prescription drugs, but incredibly high value real estate with um, you know high net worth clientele mm-hmm. all over the place. So, you know, it's a premium customer set at premium real estate, and they can do all sorts of things with that, including launch a, uh, a pharmacy brand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like uh, <laughs> we should uh, we should call this a new new section on the show. Call it just like pure speculation. <laughs> yeah, and now yeah. on to pure. Ben speculation. and David wildly speculate, yeah. including a whole bunch of p- things they read on the yep. internet. <laughs> <laughs> if it's on the internet, it must be true. <laughs> That's the mantra of acquires. Um, yep. So, all right, with that. Should we come come back to Earth? Acquisition, Go to category? acquisition category here. Let's do it. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I, I think I have to say two here. Um, and the two are business line, with the caveat that Amazon already had this business line. This is just a, a massive accelerant and reshaping of that business line. And then the other one is is asset, you know, as you were alluding to in the wild speculation section of the show. You know, this is now instantly, you know, 450 plus new, you know, in last mile uh, distribution centers in cities that are extremely proximate to the majority of Amazon's customer base, which is, you know, people middle to high income people, mostly younger demographics that live in cities. So this is an incredible real estate asset that they just acquired. David, it is like you are literally reading out of my text. <laughs> like I had those those two bolded. Like new listeners to the show, we have people, technology, product, business line, asset, or other, and those are my two as yep. well. And which is, I mean, I don't think either of those is, uh, you know, even in the couple hours since the acquisition, you know, I don't think there's any great depth of insight in in either of those. No. We want to thank our longtime friend of the show, Vanta, the leading trust management platform. Vanta, of course, automates your security reviews and compliance efforts, so frameworks like SOC 2, ISO 27001, GDPR, and HIPAA compliance and monitoring. Vanta takes care of these otherwise incredibly time and resource draining efforts for your organization and makes them fast and simple. Yep, Vanta is the perfect example of the quote that we talk about all the time here on Acquired. Jeff Bezos, his idea that a company should only focus on what actually makes your beer taste better, i.e. spend your time and resources only on what's actually going to move the needle for your product and your customers and outsource everything else that doesn't. Every company needs compliance and trust with their vendors and customers. It plays a major role in enabling revenue because customers and partners demand it, but yet it adds zero flavor to your actual product. Vanta takes care of all of it for you. No more spreadsheets, no fragmented tools, no manual reviews to cobble together your security and compliance requirements. It is one single software pane of glass that connects to all of your services via APIs and eliminates countless hours of work for your organization. There are now AI capabilities to make this even more powerful, and they even integrate with over 300 external tools. Plus, they let customers build private integrations with their internal systems. And perhaps most importantly, your security reviews are now real-time instead of static, so you can monitor and share with your customers and partners to give them added confidence. So whether you're a startup or a large enterprise and your company is ready to automate compliance and streamline security reviews like Vanta's 7,000 customers around the globe and go back to making your beer taste better, head on over to vanta.com acquired and just tell them that Ben and David sent you. And thanks to friend of the show, Christina, Vanta's CEO, all acquired listeners get $1,000 of free credit. 
vanta.com slash acquired. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about tech themes. But before yeah. we do that, should we hop to what would have happened otherwise? And we should talk about Whole Foods and Amazon. But in particular, I want to talk here about what's the future for Instacart? Yeah. Um, okay, wait, pausing on Instacart real quick. What would have happened otherwise? So, you know, when we're thinking about what we were talking about earlier with, you know, Amazon a Marketplace and, you know, they have fulfillment by Amazon for customers who are merchants who are on the Marketplace it's interesting to think about first they had to be their own retailer and then they could open up the marketplace. You know, in this case, it seems to me like first they're going to be their own sort of grocer, which let's not forget, um, I don't think we've said this on the show yet, grocery is an $800 billion market. Like grocery is the market. And it's like a massive... If you look at all of retail, not just e-commerce, but all of US retail, grocery is about 15% of that. Um, so it is oh enormous, God. enormous. I mean, it is, it is as big as Amazon's entire business. It is as big as all bigger than all of e-commerce combined right now. Well, I mean, it's basic human stuff, right? Like look at Maslow's hierarchy. Like we need food, yep. we need food, we need shelter. Yep. And actually, if you look at, um, household spend in order, it's taxes, house, car, food. Yep. If you're looking purely at retail, the first two of those don't apply. Uh, house right. and taxes and it's car and food right and like think about <laughs> think about uber and lyft <laughs> and you know <laughs> and, and well i'm gonna okay i'm gonna pause here i'm gonna save this for tech themes continue yeah yeah okay so so massive unbelievable ridiculous market people need to eat and it's interesting that to me amazon is going the direct route with being you know the place where you buy the food when they buy owning whole foods and not opening it up as a marketplace. Like one direction they could have gone is to go to every physical grocery store at scale and say you can reach customers online using our platform the way that that Instacart did. And it's interesting that they sort of went the other direction with it and really bought their way into possibly unfolding it in the same way that they unfolded from uh, their their normal retail business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. Like, if they didn't buy Whole Foods, like, would they have bought a different grocery store? I mean, the if you look at uh, Albertsons bought Safeway for nine billion dollars a couple of years ago, and so that I suppose Albertsons could have bought Whole Foods. I know they were considering it. Um, you know, Amazon maybe could have bought Albertsons. At the end of the day, it's I think Whole Foods was the best one to buy because it has the it, it actually the had best selection and the most premium customer segment yep. and the most premium real estate. And it actually had to the extent any large chain did it it actually had differentiation i mean i, I don't think it was right, lost on right. amazon that you know I, I seriously doubt jenny and i were the only folks that used instacart to get whole foods <laughs> and i and i really yep. doubt that that was lost on amazon yeah i think you're right so to me amazon gets a heck of a lot more leverage out of buying whole foods than albertsons would get out of buying whole foods yep. and so from a value creation perspective i guess it's a you know creates more value for the world for Amazon to own the yeah. asset. So let's, let's talk quickly about, about Instacart. I mean, what, uh, yeah. you know, what, what do we think is, is the future for them here? I mean, they're, uh, they have a very large valuation. The product is great. You know, I, I completely agree with you, Ben. I mean, um, we love it, uh, but we love it to get Whole Foods, right? <laughs> uh, this is, you know, big for them. What, um, what's the path forward? I, I have some thoughts, but, uh, well, well, I'll go first. So, okay. um, on the surface, I mean, this is a bad day. <laughs> it's a very, very bad day for for Instacart. On the other yeah. hand, though, you know, there, I don't think all is lost for them by any means. They no. have, I 
think the the only model that makes sense to that is capable of scaling quickly in anything less than a decade long time frame in this space which is let the stores that are and the companies that are good at logistics do logistics and we'll do the last mile right zero inventory zero inventory risk, risk. i mean that was when we talked about you know the web van boat flipping upside down it was that they had plowed so much money into into inventory and their fulfillment centers and then when they were losing money on every order and demand you know a tidal wave of demand came in it didn't fail because people didn't want the product you know mm-hmm. it failed because they just the capital demands got too great on the business that's how they lost all of that you know 800 million dollars they raised uh, Instacart yeah. doesn't have that problem. More demand is more, you know, gross margin for them. So that's good. And I think with this acquisition, you know, what this is certainly going to do in the medium term is it is going to drive everybody from, you know, in the grocery, pharmacy, you know, any local retail space, you know, <laughs> if they weren't afraid of Amazon already, they're going to be driven into the arms of Instacart. You know, I think probably <laughs> starting with Trader Joe's, right? Like if Instacart can land Trader Joe's, to my yep. mind, they're sort of the last bastion of differentiation in this space. Yep. And they're sure as heck not going anywhere near Amazon after the Whole Foods acquisition. So, so I don't think any, all is lost. Then the other thing for Instacart is, is, of course, you know, the other player in the commerce space, which is Walmart, you know, which has been very acquisitive, acquired Jet. Uh, just also, you know, acquired Bonobos today uh, in a in a story that was vastly overshadowed by Whole Foods. <laughs> yeah, um, but acquired ModCloth, plenty of others. Um, you know, they are going to be very interested in this space too. And Walmart's in food. I mean, they have the superstores that are effectively just huge grocery stores attached to a Walmart. Yep. Now the problem has been, as you mentioned, Walmart only has six and a half billion dollars of cash on their balance sheet and Instacart's sitting at a $3.3 billion valuation. So, you know, Walmart's not going to spend all their cash on this deal if they buy Instacart. Right. And, so uh, right. returns are limited there. Yeah. Ooh, that's interesting. If you're a Porva, do you take Walmart stock? Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> you better think hard about that. <laughs> I mean, uh, Jet, I, Jet, I believe Jet was all cash, right? Uh, I don't actually remember. I think it was. Sounds right. I think it was, you know, which... With heavy, heavy earnouts. Heavy earnouts, right, but all cash. So, you know, yeah. Mark Laurie didn't have to uh, make that bet. Yep. Hey, I mean, look, you can go head-to-head with Amazon. Like, Instacart might actually just deliver, like, a way better consumer experience. I mean, maybe, uh, I don't well, know. Like, yeah. he, he, Keep going. <laughs> yeah. It's a dangerous I mean, one thing, here's another thing thread of do. logic that if, you go down when you start thinking that way, but, but go. Right, right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll pivot a little bit because I, I hit it when you did too. The, <laughs> and uh, what I hit on is, uh, is price, right? Like the thing is yeah. Instacart is more expensive than going to the grocery store. And if Amazon it is. now owning it is. Whole Foods can make it cheaper, you, you just can't compete, right? And this is how Amazon won right. retail. And maybe there's a play for Amazon to aggregate, or I'm sorry, uh, Instacart to aggregate the long tail of all these sort of independent grocery stores and smaller grocery stores and everything that is not Whole Foods. But you have to imagine at some point, Amazon will open up a marketplace for this. Yep. But the thing is, so with grocery delivery, Amazon Fresh is much more on like this sort of I've actually never done it, but I think on this sort of weekly cadence or bi-weekly cadence, right? Uh, and whereas Instacart's much more on demand. 
Yeah, I think that's right. You can do on demand from Amazon too, I believe, but um, but they try and funnel you to uh, to a weekly cadence. Yeah, and so this thing for Instacart, the ability to aggregate third party sellers on a platform in a sort of in, in an aggregated way, where you can I can go to Amazon and order from three different third party sellers, and since they're all f- fulfillment by Amazon, they sort of get to my house at the same time. It's all through the same system since. Instacart uses a on-demand system. It's you, you really can't actually order from multiple grocery stores because the logistics of that, sending a shopper in the next two hours to both grocery stores is prohibitively expensive and time-consuming. Yep. And so you know, there, there actually isn't really a play to aggregate the long tail to go to multiple stores, but maybe there's a play to aggregate the long tail where in, in every local market, you have all the smaller stores on there that uh, that Amazon doesn't have with Whole Foods. I don't know. Yep. I mean, yep. <laughs> but you're competing with uh, the everything store <laughs> and and yep. aggregation theory, as we've talked about. Yeah. So, um, it's well, we'll see. I mean, I, I don't think I certainly don't think you know uh, Monday, uh, starting Monday or today, that that Instacart is is doomed. Um, and no. actually, you know, there there certainly are plenty of ramifications from this deal that are positives for them. Um, yep. But it does just speak to you know, in the world we live in right now, you know, Amazon is the new you know Microsoft from the nineteen nineties. You know. Um, yeah, dude. That's okay. I'm glad you're going there because that's that's my first tech yep. theme. I Take think, it away. And I think probably one of yours too. Uh, in one sense, they're the new Microsoft. In another sense. The big five right now, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, are way more powerful, just way more powerful because of machine learning and because of, uh, of, of the data assets that they have than Microsoft of, of that era. Because I really do think that like there is this like, well, we can out-execute you know, this company right now because they don't know how to do consumer. They don't know how to... With, with these companies, like it's just a matter of time. Like I really thought like, wow, Amazon Fresh isn't as good as an experience for a long time as Instacart. But like at some point, like Amazon just has so much cash and these companies have so much cash. They just go in and they, they buy yep. the, this huge asset and they, they get this incredible data asset out of it. And they learn how to optimize every single experience for every single customer based on exactly their wants and needs. And I think that, um, yeah, also with the, the availability of cloud computing, like, you know, you, you start in your two, your two pizza team inside Amazon and it's small and you work on a thing. And then suddenly if it's working and you find product market fit, like you get the power of Amazon's cloud behind it. I, I really do think that, um, you know, the, the, the big companies now have ability to enter markets that, that, you know, they just compete with everyone and they're fierce. Yep. Well, I think it, it highlights the, importance of you know if you if you're gonna do the crazy thing and attack one of these guys head on well hey you can't attack head on but but attack them on their turf you're the angle you enter at has to be completely you know orthogonal to to the angle that they're approaching the market and i and i think instacart you know you, you listen to Aporva and again he's very articulate and and made makes a good case for why Instacart can do things and offer things that Amazon couldn't and and probably still can't. But I don't know that the angle, like it was a little too acute, you know, like as we've been talking about it, it's not so totally different that it enables a completely different customer experience. Um, Mm -hmm. And 
um, you know, that's, uh, it's, uh, I, I think you're right. Like the power that the big five, uh, big four, big five, however you want to categorize it, have right now, um, are, 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 you know, make the power that Microsoft had in the 90s, you know, look quaint. I agree. And to pile on that point one more time, the market really doesn't believe that Amazon can, can, that anyone can compete with Amazon once Amazon decides to enter a market. Like that's the, Amazon is by far the scariest of those five horsemen right now, because here's how the market responded today when, when this deal happened. Target's down 9%, Walmart's down 5%, Costco 6%, Sprout's 11%, and Kroger 13 Wow. Like Amazon signals they're going to enter a market and just... Which is ironic too. I mean, like this should not be news to anyone. Like Amazon has signaled (laughs) for ten years that they're coming for groceries. So, um, David, the irrationality of of the market will never uh, will never cease to be a topic of this show. Yeah, but actually, that is a good point. um, That I think we should is worth a moment. That as scary as Amazon is, they can't start from zero and destroy you. They, you know, Mm -hmm. it it really, I I don't think this would have happened without the 10 years of, you know, from, from Webvan to, you know, to, uh, uh, to Kiva, uh, to Fresh, you know, and then to observing Instacart. Um, Everybody knew this was coming. Um, So, so, you know, I don't think like, you know, if you're, um, you know, if you're Airbnb uh, and you're, you know, in a, you have another amazing marketplace, uh, but you're nowhere near Amazon. Like, I don't think Amazon can launch you know amazon you know stays <laughs> uh tomorrow right um right so so there is some solace there uh there's plenty especially of in those marketplaces right yep. of build, building up a big supply and a big yep, demand yep absolutely they do not happen overnight regardless of who you are but i think it also highlights nope. something else that you know if i were um i i'm don't happen to believe necessarily the bear case on amazon right now but nobody seems to be making it. So, so I'll take a stab. Like here's, here's my <laughs> bear case on Amazon. As they grow and, and everything you were just saying and enter so many new markets, um, there is going to be this incredible, incredible human, you know, human capital management problem there. Um, and I think, you know, Jeff Bezos is amazing. He's one of the best, you know, management leaders of, you know, ever. <laughs> um, to be able to grow Amazon as it is in such a decentralized fashion, um, but at some point, even in as as efficient an, an organization as Amazon, those communication costs within the organization are going to get mm-hmm. higher and higher. Um, mm-hmm. So there is probably a natural human limit to how much they can scale in terms of businesses. Yeah, I mean, that's always been the case against big companies and the case against conglomerates for a long time. Um, the question is, has Amazon really found the formula to to make that? Um, well, I think they've done better to, than just to, about to anybody else through in history. Um, right, but what is the upper limit of their current right, model? Right, and you know, you could certainly argue that in you know today's world and in tech, we've talked about this. I think we're in tech themes now <laughs> on the show about how technology so, is a lever, yeah. right, and like, the two pizza teams in Amazon, like a two pizza team started, you know, <laughs> uh, prime now and Amazon go and Amazon fresh and all these things. Um, right. So w- one thing that we shouldn't lose though, like we're glorifying these two pizza teams, the Amazon fresh team is around, I'm sorry, the Amazon go team with one location that is only open internally to Amazon employees is like a thousand people. Yep. 
And those are a thousand like people with individual personalities and politics and, you know, wants yep. and needs and desires. Um, so yep. again, I'm not sure, you know, uh, I don't want to compete head on against Amazon, <laughs> uh, but, but <laughs> nope. if you were to articulate a bear case to, to me, that's the, that's the best one right now. Yeah. Um, another interesting, it's not as much a tech theme, but an Amazon theme is Amazon's never done an acquisition on this order of magnitude before. Nope. Like all of their 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 M and A strategies sort of changed from buying um, buying these sort of properties that they can integrate into their system, so Audible and and Zappos and things like that, to buying like technologies that were even cheaper, and then they they sort of stay on this like buying lesser expensive technologies for a while, or maybe more expensive in the sort of Kiva or Elemental technologies or things like that. But really, like they haven't been acquiring these sort of i guess in the media world to be like properties or like you know like retailers and so it's really interesting to to come out swinging so hard like they're really putting a stake in the ground that this is a huge business for us and there's this great chart on axios and i'll just read it from the bottom up um of of deals above uh 500 million dollars so you have quidzy in, in 2010 kiva in 2012 zappos um, in in 2009, and those were like 500, 700, 900 million. Twitch for 970 million in 14. The, then the you have Whole Foods at 13.7 billion dollars, and the next step down from Whole Foods, it's kind of the between Twitch and Whole Foods, is an office building <laughs> that they bought in 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 2012 from Vulcan uh, for 1.16 billion dollars. So, so so literally, this South is their, Lake Union is the next <laughs> yes, acquisition. Down. Yes, they bought an an office building. Yeah, for a, a you know one order of magnitude less than this deal, and that but was still their next bigger one than down. Twitch. That talks about <laughs> yeah, you know, right. Uh, <laughs> well, anything else you wanted to say on that? No, that's okay. It. Perfect lead into the tech theme that I really want to talk about here, uh, which is <laughs> the power of big markets. Uh, and and the, the lead-in that I was, the connection I was making is that, you know, the real estate market is is enormous. <laughs> um, if you're going to pay more for an office building than you would for Twitch. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I, taking a step back here, I think a lot of people, uh, and certainly the press and, and the public, you know, kind of look at this whole situation that we've discussed in all these companies and say, man, Silicon Valley is crazy. Venture capitalists are nuts. These people are so stupid. How could you put so much money into Webvan, you know, into, you know, who knows, hopefully Instacart has a bright future ahead, but maybe that goes to zero too. Like maybe Amazon just killed it. You know, like how could you do that? How could you be so irresponsible? And I think the answer is that when you're talking about a market as large as grocery, I mean, literally a trillion dollar market, you know, 15% of US retail, you have to think about it in terms of like, what if I'm right, you know? <laughs> um, and, and, and this is how Amazon and Jeff Bezos thinks about things, right? Is like the power of attacking a large market, it, it's going to be very hard by necessity because there's going to be a ton of competition. Um, and your odds of success are certainly not 100%. But if you get it right, I mean, if Amazon gets this right, it's literally going to double the size of Amazon. And think about how big Amazon is already. <laughs> um, you know, and those are and people thought AWS was a big business. Yeah, you know, uh, and these are the kind of bets that that lead to. Um, I use the word bet. Uh, I don't. I don't like the word bet because it's not a bet. It's it's about you know the hard work that you do over a decade long period that Amazon has done 
to get here and they have another decade ahead to continue to realize it. Um, but if you can be successful in that, you know, you, that's how you build Amazon scale businesses. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And in venture, it's not about all the ones you lose. It's only about the ones well, you Well, right. Lose. I mean, you know, 800, close to a billion dollars lost on Webvan, right? Um, but already, you know, if you're, uh, <laughs> if you take those learnings and you had bought, you know, Amazon shares or, um, you know, or even Instacart shares, right? Like you would be getting a nice return <laughs> on that. Yep. You want to grade it? Um, one other one I wanted to do real quick. I mean, I don't know that there's too much more insight to add, but I, I don't think we can. I don't think we've talked about it yet, and we can't have an episode on Amazon without talking about the flywheel. <laughs> and um, <Yep. laughs> uh, because I mean, that is really that is the other you know besides making big bets, um, you know, that is the other core element to Bezos and Amazon's philosophy. And, and if you think here about kind of um, especially. You know Alexa, right, and 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 Echoes, and like where do Echoes live? Like they live in the kitchen, you know, and uh, and and that how that business has grown within Amazon, and then attaching a grocery business to that, and you know Alexa, bring me some milk, you know, um, you can start to see the flywheel spinning, and that's how you you can create this just you know unsurmountable competitive advantage in a space. Yep, absolutely. All right, should we go back to wild speculation and grade this thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> but like, it's it's. Uh, okay, so so they've spent what was it, thirteen point <laughs> seven billion dollars, right? Um, yep. Yep. And you know, I mean, what? Uh, what's the what's what's the return they get i mean that's what well, yeah so here's an interesting what else could they have done yep. with that that could have possibly let's let's see if we can do like an expected value calculation so you you pour that into something else and we can think of what that something else could be and then i guess like try and figure out what the coefficient of possible you know, success in america right right there, like there aren't that many more like bigger markets than this um that am and especially well, that Amazon's one, already playing in transportation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, there's 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 three. There's government and taxes. There's uh, U.S. real estate, and there's transportation. Those are the only markets that are bigger than this. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Amazon doesn't. Re- I mean, other than the buildings they own, they don't really play in real estate. They so far aren't really playing in transportation other than logistics, like certainly no consumer transportation. Uh, do we want to make any calls on this show? I know this isn't grading it, but uh, it, it, we should like make a long bet or something that in, in five years, are they competing with Waymo, Uber, Lyft, or And not? Airbnb and real estate. And Airbnb, yeah. Um, yeah. There is so much that Amazon's not competing in yet. Yep. I mean... Um, well, what you're talking about is is you know no longer a big five in tech, but a big one. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I, I have a hard yeah, time seeing either. that happen. Well, you know, if we're if we're grading this acquisition and we're being that speculative, I just didn't think it was that much further of a leap. Yeah. To- <laughs> well, <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think right now I, I I'm going to give it uh, an A minus, which is in line i kind of you know, this feels weird to say given the difference in magnitude between the two of them but i'm thinking about our last episode in sound jam and um 
in some ways, this feels like a sound jam to me. Like Amazon was going to do this anyway. Um, clearly, you know, they've been doing it for a decade. Um, this is an acceleration to their plans. Um, and uh, hopefully for them, it works out like sound jam worked out for Apple. Um, but, uh, but, but I can't give it more than an A minus, even if it does work out beautifully, because I don't think it's a fundamental transportation or a transformation. Um, it's not like a, this isn't like an Instagram that's going to come in and just completely take the whole organization in a, in a direction that it wasn't going. Um, it was right. already going this way. Right. Yeah. The only interesting, the only caveat on that is it could actually be their biggest business in five years. Yep. Yep. Um, but if, for me, you know, if, if, if our a is a, is a next or a Instagram, um, you know, a, a business that, yeah. uh, and a team that just completely transforms the company. Like this is not transformative. Nope. That's a great point. And, and, and well, it certainly won't, um, yeah. And, and, and honestly, if, if it fails, like, well, then there was a lot of money to spend on this. So. Um, right, right. It's really just the opportunity cost of that capital. Yeah. So, assuming if if they succeed, I give it an A minus, maximum grade. Hmm. Maximum. Yeah. Grade. There we go. Maximum really? grade. Really? Yep. I mean, what if they what if they start commanding six of the eight hundred billion dollars in this market? Oh, but I think they could do that anyway. They didn't need to buy Whole Foods to do that. Hmm. Okay. All right. A minus sounds good to me. <laughs> All right. There we go. <laughs> um. Follow-ups, follow-ups, and hot takes. Well, we mentioned Walmart buying uh, Bonobos, um, which I don't, you know, whatever. Like, great, does, Jet, does Jet is going like to target customer fit to me. Um, no, but I think what the deal is is I think that Amazon, or I'm, I'm sorry, I think at Walmart, you know, through Jet is really just trying to buy a bunch of these sort of smaller e-commerce companies that that people love and figure out, you know, can they just own a portfolio of these things? They may not sell them, you know, in Walmart or something like that. But, um, you know, if the goal is to go around and buy a bunch of these like Casper and, uh, you know, Harry's and sort of internet and now and Warby Parker, like those sorts of businesses, like does it make sense for Walmart to own a big portfolio of those? I don't know, but I don't think this was like this wasn't a huge outcome for Bonobos. Uh, no, I mean not not given how long the company was around and and how much money they raised, but um, yeah, but you know, nice exit. Um, Honestly, what it, what it feels like, and I think this is a Ben Thompson tweet earlier, but like these being announced on the same day is just like the the contrast. It it really showed how stark the contrast is where like Walmart's kind of playing checkers and Amazon's oh, yeah. kind of playing chess. I love this is I'm going to throw in one more tech theme that actually I've been thinking about a lot lately and uh, is, I think is a very powerful one is that Amazon is playing offense Walmart is playing defense you don't yeah, win they're by playing, playing prevent defense, defense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and especially as a startup not that Walmart's the opposite of a startup but like when you're a startup, like you have nothing to defend. You can't play defense. You can only play offense. That's the only way to win. Right. Um, you, are you insinuating that Amazon may be playing like a day one company? <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> Man, <laughs> so insightful. I know. All right, carve outs. Carve outs. Let's do it. 
So mine is a friend of the show, Brian McCullough from the Internet History Podcast, which if you're listening to the show, you would love that show, um, tweeted this this link out the other day. And I had to just go watch the whole thing because it was like just it, it was one of these things you can't take your eyes away from. It is Mark Zuckerberg in 2005 coming back to Harvard to give a guest lecture in CS50. Oh, man, I saw and he's, that. I, I haven't watched it yet. I need to. It is unreal. Like he's taught, first of all, it's super insightful from like a technology perspective to understand how Facebook succeeded in a a way that a lot of other, a lot of their other precursors of of social networking sites failed. Um, So it's interesting to learn about Facebook's early architecture from a tech perspective. But then on top of that, it is just so stark to see Mark Zuckerberg speaking the way that he spoke in 2005, juxtaposed against the way that we all, you know, hear him today and, and, you know, Mark without PR training and Mark without a, a team of writers and, um, you know, Mark without a, a perfect diet and hitting the gym all the time. And he's, he's, you know, he's just insanely off the cuff and almost a little like broy. Like there's a little oh, streak of that well, in there. When, so he's uh, like, the, uh, well, two things. One, <laughs> Wirehog. <laughs> yeah. Facebook was he re- just a side, a way for him to launch like a Napster competitor <laughs> and then to the Sequoia pajama pitch. <laughs> oh my God. Bro. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and, and in this pitch, he probably earned this, this lecture. He's like, we have two hours. I'll probably talk for like 15 minutes. Cause I don't know what you guys want me to talk about. <laughs> um, and then like so probably nice know 15 or 20 times. I know right over the course of the, of the two hours, he says like, yeah, I don't know if this is interesting to you guys at all. I don't know if this is relevant. Like, I don't know what you want me to, what you want me to say. I don't know what, you know, like, I don't know. Uh, like, I don't know if this is relevant. And he just keeps saying that over and over and over again. And you're like, wow, this guy, it's so different. Yeah. <laughs> and look at him today. I mean, yep. What, what matters is potential, not, uh, not, uh, the current state of things. Potential and network effects. Yeah, and flywheels <laughs> and big markets <laughs> and playing yep. offense, not defense. <laughs> all of the things. Um, all right, my podcast is um, the uh, episode this week of Exponent, um, the, uh, the Ben Thompson and uh, James Allworth's uh, great podcast that I'm sure many of you guys listen to and, and should if you don't already. Uh, on podcasts. Um, we've talked about this on this show. We did the episode a while back on Midroll and Stitcher. Um, but it really feels like with Apple announcing that they're going to bring a whole bunch of changes and improvements to the platform of podcasting, um, like now might be the time. I mean, we've argued on this show where podcasting is obviously near and dear to our hearts. Um, and we are, you know, in the startup and venture world, but that it's just too soon. The, the market's too small. You can't build big, big businesses here. Um, but I wonder if now's the time that things are changing. It's a great time to be in podcasting, David. It is. Uh, which is also why it's a great time to tell your friends about Acquired. <laughs> uh, couldn't help myself. <laughs> that is, no, it's great. It's, it leads exactly into to our, our show close. This is a great time to tell you about one of our very favorite companies, Crusoe. So, Crusoe, as listeners know by now, is a clean compute cloud provider specifically built for AI workloads. NVIDIA is one of their major partners, and literally Crusoe's data centers are nothing but racks and racks of A100s and H100s. And because Crusoe's cloud is purpose-built for AI and run on wasted, stranded, or clean energy, they can provide significantly better performance per dollar than traditional cloud providers. Yes, we talked about that on our ACQ2 episode with Crusoe CEO Chase Lockmiller. 
The other element that makes Crusoe special is the environmental angle. Crusoe, of course, locates their data centers at stranded energy sites. So think oil flares, wind farms that can't use all the energy they generate, etc., and uses that power that would otherwise be wasted to run your AI workloads instead. Yep. Obviously, it's a huge benefit for the environment and for customers on costs since Crusoe doesn't rely on the energy grid. Energy is the second largest cost of running AI after, of course, the price you pay NVIDIA for the chips. And these lower energy costs get passed on to customers. It's super cool that they can put their data centers out there in these remote locations where, quote unquote, energy happens, as opposed to the other hyperscalers such as AWS and Google and Azure, who need to build their data centers close to major traffic hubs where the internet happens because they are doing everything in their clouds. Yep. If you, your company, or your portfolio companies would like to use the lower cost and more performant infrastructure for your AI workloads, go to crusocloud.com slash acquired, that's C-R-U-S-O-E cloud.com slash acquired, or click the link in the show notes. Um, so listeners, uh, happy Friday night. You probably listen to this in another time, but um, David, enjoy your weekend. You too, Ben. Listeners, if you haven't subscribed and you want to hear more, you can subscribe from your favorite podcast client. Um, and if you feel so inclined, we would love, love, love a review on Apple Podcasts. So with that, with that, go shop at Whole Foods. <laughs> go shop at Whole Foods. <laughs> <laughs> to more wild speculation in the future. Yes. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.